Good morning, everyone. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Culture Shock Podcast. I'm your host, Dave. Today, my guest is a little bit of a continuation from last week. Last week, we spoke to Michael Simon, the producer of The Cult Unveiled. And this week, we talked to the host of The Occult Unveiled, Ashley Ryan, a.k.a. Pythian Priestess. You might remember our conversation in season one. And I thought, what better way to bring her back than to promote her new show and hear a little bit about her insights in the process of making it, what she learned from her guests, and ultimately what you as a listener can expect to learn from her new show. One of the things that's sort of ironic about the term, some of the terminology that we use within alternative spirituality, mysticism, occultism, esotericism, is that oftentimes these terms in their traditional sense mean hidden. That so much of what used to be, and maybe to some degree still is done behind closed doors, is kept for only those of initiation, only those with the secret password, as it were, to pull back the forbidden door and step through it. But those times have changed. In this modern era of the internet and social media and books, wherever you want to find them, online, in person, etc., the idea that some of these practices are hidden or secret just doesn't seem to hold much water anymore. Now, they may be hidden in terms of the fact that mainstream commercialism, mammonism, technomancy doesn't want you to uncover the secrets that exist that lead to the liberation of oneself of oneself and one's soul that leads to one's sovereignty over themselves however the practices are available for anyone who seeks them out and i think it's really cool and very admirable that there are folks out there like ashley who are looking to present these techniques and practices and ways of living in a manner that is free of dogmatic suggestion or um, free from the lens by which most people understand the occult, which is through the prism that is bad horror movies and Hollywood and pop culture, but instead presents them normified, presents them as uh, legitimate forms of spiritual practice and philosophies, and ways to live life. I'm a big believer as a practitioner myself that through some of these techniques, we are able to carve out for ourselves a life that we are dying to experience. In this current culture, and I think that folks like Ashley who approach this from a more methodical and serious and scientific and exploratory manner while presenting their guest a, a safe place to express themselves freely without judgment or proselytizing and tell their stories and share their beliefs and their experiences and their practices, I think this can only be a good thing. Diversity in ideas, cultures, practices, ways of living, and other intimate facets of our life is what makes life interesting. It is the poetry of life. We are contributing to one long prose and by learning in, in, in a good faith manner the different 
beliefs that exist out in the world, we may be able to grow ourselves. And even if it's just something you find fascinating, there is growth in that as well. So I want to thank Ashley very much for her time and for her coming on the show. And I'm very excited for The Occult Unveiled coming out on March 1st tomorrow, if you're listening to this podcast on Monday. Uh, So without further ado, let's get to our guest, host of the upcoming podcast, The Occult Unveiled, Ashley Ryan, a.k.a. Pythian Priestess. So... Well, first and foremost, welcome. I, I, you were one of my favorite guests in season one, and uh, and one generally one of my favorite people. You're a wonderful person, and I, I wanted to have you come back on the show, um, not only because I just enjoy talking with you, but because you have a new project coming up, which is super exciting. I think um, it's called The Occult Unveiled, which is a new podcast coming out on March first. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. And thank you, David, for having me back on the A Culture Shock. It is very exciting to come and talk about this new project. It's been in the works now for over half a year. And yeah, we are unveiling the occult from adept practitioners from different walks of life. And it, it was really special. And I don't think there's anything quite like it that exists right now. Well, it's really cool too because, you know, there's obviously we live in an age where lots of podcasts can exist, and it's really cool. Anyone with just a little bit of uh, resources can put their voice out into the world, uh, can meet and talk about new uh, either people or ideas. So, but with this project, there's actually some some real groundswell support behind it, and I think it offers the opportunity to get to know folks on a more personal level and hear their story in a way that's maybe not being done uh, as frequently uh, in in sort of the modern occult witchy spheres. How did this podcast come about for you? So the what makes this podcast really unique is that it's a non-judgmental look at different practices, varying from Luciferianism, Thelema, to witches who work with Hegate or Hecate. And this project came about because my former boss, who is the director of Ridiculousness, Michael Simon, (laughs) Mm -hmm. was like, you're internet famous, like really, like for real internet famous. What do you do? And I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. I have to tell (laughs) him what I do now. And he and his wife were like, oh, my God, this is so cool. And they wanted to know everything about it. And it was through my work with Michael Simon uh, and Scott Kushner, who lives in New York, that they were like, this is something that the world has not seen before and is really interested in. And you're an expert, whether or not you recognize it. I was like, oh, gosh, you guys, that's like, that's a lot of pressure. (laughs) But, But they have been so wonderful and have brought a level to professionalism. They've brought a level of professionalism that I did not foresee and I'm so excited about. Right. Because as I mentioned before, you you actually have support behind you. You know, the average person you know buys a microphone and maybe has some software and they just kind of go and, and there's nothing wrong with it. That's actually pretty cool. But I would imagine having a team behind you to set up opportunities for you to promote or um, I don't know what the process is for recording an episode. We could certainly talk about that, but having a team there to not only uh, offer 
emotional and support and, and creative support, but also like some, I would imagine some physical support. How's that process been doing this? Like, cause a lot of your other stuff online, your, your TikTok and things, that's just sort of you is you're sort of right. a, a, a one man gang. So now you actually have, you know, it's a, it's a production. Well, I have to first say that I'm so grateful, but it was hard at first to relinquish some control, but it was so great because um, having two other producers on the team allows me to be a host. It allows me to be the uh, the penetrator for the audience where this, the other producers will help find and gather potential guests. And then there's a pre-interview process where all potential guests get pre-interviewed and they're vetted by the producers to make sure that there's a common theme. So mm-hmm. behind every episode, there is a theme that we're focusing on. And then that team also does all of the ad work, all of the money, all of the revenue. I get mm-hmm. to see it, but it has been so interesting to be just talent and EP. I was so grateful that they actually gave me the, you know, it was a group effort, but they gave me access to a library with over like 15,000 songs. And they're like, you find the theme song, you know what you're looking for. Um, I was like, okay. So it's this wonderful project where I get to have a lot of free reign, but they support Mm -hmm. me and help me make sure that it's accessible to everyone because I I'm so deep into this at this point that a lot of the terminology that these guests and I use are what are termed insider baseball in Hollywood, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. meaning that nobody else is going to get it. So that's where this great idea came in of Pythian Priestess Chimons. So during the interview, there will be a break where Pythian comes in and she explains what exactly we're talking about. What is the lemma? Who is Alistair Crowley? who is uh, Hecate? And she will explain these facets so the average listener who is not familiar with the occult can understand and hopefully make it less scary. Yeah. Well, it's it's, it's sort of built into the name, right? It's mysterious. It's hidden. Um, but what we oftentimes see is, and this is the nature of the internet in general, but folks will put out there's no there's no vetting process in the wider world of the internet in terms of the kind of information that gets put out there. Um, there's you know anyone it's both the good and bad of the technologies that anyone can be <laughs> someone putting out information. So I think it's a really interesting approach that you're not only chatting with folks, some of which you may know personally, some of which you may not, but but folks who have a common understanding of what we will broadly call occult or, or esoteric topics, you not only get to have those like back and forth conversations with them, but you can kind of break it down Barney style, as we like to say sometimes on set for, for the people who are coming to this brand new, the people who, cause I, I remember back, you know, when I was, before I got to ceremonial magic, when I was still exploring um, witchcraft, it was very difficult for me to find any one source that I felt was complete that could at least get me on a on a path. There was so many variants around, and and you see that online as well. Like there's just so many different versions, even with let's say a topic like Thelema or or uh, any any sub branch. 
Yeah, there's a lot of, like you said, there's a lot of communities that have a lot of insider terms and Mm -hmm. being able to find people. Everyone who is in this podcast is a professional. Mm -hmm. They have uh, some kind of occult teachings, a book written, multiple books written, or they have some kind of education. Some of them are online and some of them are in real life. Mm -hmm. I think that's the thing we forget a lot of times. We forget that there are practitioners outside of our social media spheres and it's very cool for you to aid in highlighting those individuals and maybe allowing their voice to be part of the conversation that it might not otherwise because they're not on tiktok or instagram or twitter or maybe their patreon is a little more low-key but they're they have value uh, to what they're to what they say and what they have to offer to the larger conversation of not only the practices, but the communities. Absolutely. And I think that there's, you know, some people who are older, who aren't on online, like Mm -hmm. Michael W. Ford. He has an Instagram Mm -hmm. and a Twitter and all this stuff, but he's not super active. Um, I think another character is, uh, his name is Salvatore. He works at the Crooked Mm -hmm. Path doesn't use social media really at all. So being able to bring these people who who are professional and work so much in the real world and bring them online, I hope it will bring some clarity to some of the confusion that we have uh, on the internet. And, you know, there's been a lot of conversation about like what makes an advanced practitioner, mm-hmm. if not age. I think a lot of it is wisdom. Mm-hmm. Anyone can can spout out facts or can spout out like, their history with a deity, but someone who's really, really lived it and somebody who is able to talk about their mistakes and explain like how they've grown from that. And we see that almost in every episode. People talk about the struggles that they've endured. Uh, Michelle Belager talks about being a, a zine publisher in the 90s and how hard yeah. it was to create like a vampire community. Right. And to be able to see like what life was like before social media for a lot of these people, I'm hoping that – I hope that like absolutely I want people to be on the internet and listen to the podcast, but I hope it inspires them to spend more time with magic. I think unfortunately magic has just become so much of a, a show rather than a reflective practice. Yeah, I think you're you're dead on on that. There is sort of a phenomenon wherein I I feel like in modern society we are every every form of rebellion has sort of been prepackaged for us or or at very minimum very quickly becomes packaged for us and and generally becomes detoothed uh, and sort of rudderless and and safe. Um, I always hearken back because I'm of the age of knowing what a zine was in the 90s. Um, when grunge hit in the early 90s, when I was a sort of preteen or teenager, uh, very shortly after 1993, uh, Mark Jacobs, the very famous fashion designer, did a runway show of grunge look. Hmm. So the so this this aesthetic that sort of define this very famous, very rebellious, very anti-MTV genre of music, which was really, you know, embodied by a utilitarian look, right? The flannel was worn because it was cold outside and a lot of these people didn't have a lot of 
money for fashion and wouldn't, wouldn't have cared about fashion anyway to see that and see it taken and make made into high fashion sort of embodies what the spectacle does to us. And so part of what you're saying about, you know, witchcraft and information and, and occultism and magic sort of being commodified and, and sold online again, not nothing inherently wrong with that, but there is a certain lifestyle that gets removed in that process. Wherein the moment there's like a meme I've seen before where it's like someone has a spiritual awakening. Oh, it's, it's the butterfly meme where the guys oh, like, yeah, oh, the yeah. butterfly. and it's like, has a, has their first spiritual awakening. Is this a career? You know? And, yeah. and I think that's just, I think that's a, a common response to this society that we have built. And then that leads me to the next point that you made, which I had briefly chat about on a previous episode, which is, what defines a serious practitioner? I think you're right. It's not strictly age. Um, it's, it is a combination of things because with age comes uh, wisdom and experience. And, and there's something to be said for, for having put in 20, 30 years as a practitioner. But there's also something in the youth where there's uh, innovation and there's excitement and there's maybe a lack of cynicism and there's optimism and there's a, a you know again exactly what you're doing with this podcast you're using new technology to do something that michelle was doing in the 90s with you know a xerox machine at kinko's and um some sketches and some you know put together uh put together zine so you're taking an older concept and you're modernizing it and you're using the technology available to you and to your generation to reach a new audience. And I think it's in that intersection that we really can expand any community. Yeah. And I think ultimately when you ask what an advanced practitioner is, it's about where your consciousness is at. Mm -hmm. Are you still, hmm, are you still spending every day online? Like constantly refreshing Twitter to find out what the new drama is? Are you constantly like making videos of how cool your candle burned? Like that is not the path to enlightenment. And I am everyone's goal in spirituality doesn't need to be enlightenment, but I think that in Western esotericism, that is the the goal is to mm -hmm. find enlightenment, to elevate your consciousness. And that's really what I'm hoping to do here as a global collective is take away a lot of the fear that surrounds the occult. A lot of the, ooh, you do devil work stuff. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. Take that away and show like yeah. what this is. Yeah, it, it seems like there's still well, – the latest thing that I, I – I mean, obviously, in certain circles, this still would be sort of viewed as Satanism or devil worship. I even had my sister who – uh, you know, God bless her. She she just was making wasn't making a judgment. She just made a misunderstanding. But she's like, "You're a Satanist, right?" And I'm not. I've never been a Satanist. And so, uh, but just you know, e even my sister, who knows me better than most, just makes that common misconception because it's a common misconception for a reason. And the other thing that I've seen it attached to a lot of times is like uh, conspiracy theories. Like you always oh, hear yeah. this idea. This idea that like the the Illuminati, I'm doing air quotes for a radio show, uh, the Illuminati are, are the, part of this evil occultist cabal kind of situation. And and I have found that I don't know if I want to say most occultist, but at least to your point, most occultist goal, at least spoken, is 
to to elevate their vibration, to elevate their consciousness, to achieve enlightenment, to achieve a certain spiritual as well as physical and mental uh, purification. Uh, and, and and it's actually the materialist, it's the technocrats, it's the Church of Mammon that is really doing, if there are conspiracies to be held, I find that it's sort of existed more in the secular sector of life, the very commercial sector of life, than it is with a- any spiritual practice. Absolutely. Like when you bring in the mundane world, and find the things that people are most attached to, like money and power. Mm-hmm. That's where you find the truest corruption. But yeah, absolutely. When we talk about, you know, we work in Hollywood and you hear people are like, oh, well, you know, those Hollywood people, they're sacrificing babies. And I'm like, <laughs> where do you think those babies come from? Like, yeah, people, people would notice over time if suddenly – you know, there are hundreds of babies missing. Also, I've never walked into any meeting where people are wearing black hoods, like chanting in a circle. Like, trust me, I would be the ringleader of that. And that does not happen. <laughs> yeah. The only sacrificing of babies that would be held in in Hollywood would be in the, the way that Crowley would define it. And, and that's about that's about as, as decadent as, as one gets. Um, when you mentioned Michelle Bellinger earlier and, and her sort of sharing on your podcast Nicole unveiled her time in the 90s making zines i remember zines i never made a zine but we would we were in bands and we would often employ the same techniques whereas you would sort of with tape and and make this sort of collage of a in our case a band flyer and then you'd go down to kinko's and You'd go and print it, and you would you would cut them so you could hide how many copies you'd actually made, and you know because we're all poor at the time. It was very punk rock, it was very DIY, and there's a certain level of romanticism attached with that sort of DIY aesthetic, and that's cool, and I like it, and I'm and actually I'm a big proponent of it. But you know, it's also nice when you have a team that can reach out and set up interviews, and can help you promote, and can put out a deadline article and things of that nature, you, you open the possibilities of you to be strictly a host, which is a luxury in a lot of ways, right? Because oftentimes I can speak from experience when you're doing this podcast, you start thinking about all the technical stuff first. And it's almost like the ability to just talk to folks or to host folks is the, the, the second or third thought down the line between like, is the camera working? Do we have internet connection? Oh, how long is this going to take to edit? These these other things that can, you know, oh, I've got to make social media posts, et cetera. These are the things that can weigh down your mind and limit maybe your ability to focus purely on being, for lack of a better term, talent. And especially, I think, with what you're trying to do, where it's so much more educational and, and enlightening, it must be a huge benefit for you to focus strictly on that. But is it in any way, well, I guess, what is the process for promoting? Is that kind of... I know you mentioned earlier it was kind of hard to let go of control, but is it like, does it feel like you're on a like a press junket? Is it sort of a whirlwind? How how has this been sort of letting go of the wheel and and letting a team sort of steer it, but still being part of that promotional machine? Wow, yeah, it's been it has been a whirlwind in a lot of ways. So I have been so blessed to have been featured in Deadline, which like in the Hollywood world, that's like making it or your first step Mm -hmm. to making it. And 
we've made a media kit of who I am, who Pythian Priestess is, and what she's about. So that got blasted off to so many people. And of course, there are going to be people who accept and people who reject. What was really great is that even I've been able to promote in ways that aren't just strictly just about the occult unveiled. Mm -hmm. I was a commentator on Den of Geek recently talking about Del Toro's new film, Nightmare Alley, showing that I, as a host, have the knowledge of the occult, which Nightmare Alley, haven't seen it yet, watch it. Amazing film. I want to. So there's a lot of really great ways that um, I'm being able to to reach out. They reached out to you in a culture shock and finding places that maybe don't necessarily always promote the occult. This is like trying to reach a, a wider audience. And that has been great because even though I have, you know, this amount of followers online, the occult unveils goal is to really outstretch beyond the magical community to destigmatize what is currently becoming very quickly a mainstream way of living, a lifestyle. No, absolutely. I mean, there's always articles after articles that highlight the growing number of folks who are interested, predominantly younger, in what we could broadly can call um, alternative spirituality. So that obviously encompasses what we call the occult, ceremonial magic, witchcraft, things of that nature, um, but also other like Eastern religions. This, this, I, I think that we've seen a shift where um, my dad had shared me an article not that long ago talking about how like the Republicans' uh, faith-based uh, or the Christian base has decreased like year after year after year at a pretty, pretty uh, extreme rates. Um, I think that we see this shift. We, we've already seen this sort of shift away from traditional religions um the sort of the the peak of the evangelical born again christian sort of toppled around the early 2000s and and sort of since then we've seen that decline occurring but but as that decline has occurred and i think that as people have recognized that the uh, consumerism materialism um technomancy that is being offered as a as a replacement for more traditional institutions has has in the same ways, if not more so, failed us and let us down. And they're seeking alternative ways to express their place in the universe and their relationship to God in whichever way they define it. And many of those alternative paths are quite old uh, in, in tradition. So you're right. There's definitely a fluctuation that's coming in and out of this. And a lot of it, you know, actually dates back to the Civil War where we start to see the first rise of spirituality. Why? Because of death, the Mm -hmm. amount of death during the Civil War. And that's what we're really starting to see here with coronavirus, with political unrest. We're seeing that same kind of rise where traditional religions aren't able to give the comfort that they once had. So during Y2K, 9-11, I think a lot of people found comfort in their religion, but now religion has become so political Mm -hmm. and finding a new modality for spirituality, ah, that's a nice rhyme, uh, really brings, you know, it opens people's eyes and has these realizations. Some people will call it the age of Aquarius, what have you. But it's something that in the long term, is going to affect our, our 
community, mm-hmm. both online and offline. And, you know, my biggest goal is to make sure that the occult unveiled, again, takes away some of that scariness for those who are like, what is this? Should I be scared that my next door neighbor's a witch? Is that like something I should be concerned about? <laughs> well, it's funny because there is um, there's a famous quote from a band that I love called AFI. And they talked about, they talked about, you know, they were were being asked when they knew that they were breaking big when they were becoming popular. And they, they started saying they noticed they were starting to break big when they started seeing the percentage of male to female audience even out Mm -hmm. because in their earlier albums, when they were more obscure and more indie, it was a heavily skewing male very aggressive male audience. And then as they evolved as artists and as their music became more um, accessible for different types of folks who maybe weren't strictly listening to hardcore or punk rock, their audience grew. And as their audience grew, the, the uh, ratios evened out became more 50, 50, whereas it may have been 90, 10 before Mm. part of that growth as an old punk rocker myself, always ends, ends up being a dichotomy of opinions in terms of what this means for the larger community. There's always going to be people who get very excited about it, and there's going to be people who are, are uh, open to new folks being introduced into communities. Like again, I'll use the, I'll just beat this punk rock analogy into the ground. Like when Green Day broke big, and there was this influx of this third wave of punk rock kids and skate punk kids. Uh, and then you're also at the same time going to have that old guard that kind of yells at clouds and is a little crusty and is, you know, likes to be um, dismissive of younger folks with their younger and more modern ideas. Since you have, since this podcast has already gained a certain level of, of notoriety because of the press that your team has been able to, to build around this, including a podcast like this, have you, have you felt any like unexpected reactions to it? Has anyone like reached out in, in support that you didn't expect or um, just, I guess in general, how have you been, have you been checking the temperature or are you trying to stay removed from it until the album is released, so to speak? So I've been really lucky to see that almost all of the responses that I've seen so far have been very positive, both from my audience and from the audience of our guests. But that could change. And I know that everyone has an opinion, especially about like, should spirituality be mainstream? And the truth is that every person has the ability and the capability to do magic. And Mm. that is your divine birthright. So if this podcast like leads someone to having a better understanding of themselves and bring wisdom to them, then great. That's wonderful. I, I hope that nobody has this idea that I'm just trying to mainstream or popularize witchcraft it's i didn't do that that's already been done that's been a long time coming (laughs) i mean i think the craft came out in the mid 90s and we can trace it back even further from that like it comes in waves like all things do exactly and it's been i think the biggest like surprise regarding the podcast was how excited a lot of these older practitioners were like, if I look at our guest list right now, uh, we, I was very, very certain 
that I wanted to have the majority skewing a little bit older and not mm-hmm. on TikTok. That was really important to me. I wanted people outside of TikTok. So we've got Michelle Bellinger, Scarlett Amaris, Salvatore, and then Michael Ford. Now, these four people um, have all had books written about them or written books and are are pretty removed. Now, Patty's a, an outlier in that because she is such a big witch. She is Hollywood's good witch. But getting to have like their knowledge and seeing how it does contrast with modern TikTokers, uh, like Afro-spiritual, who's known as Dimitri, or Niche the Fish, who is teaching us about occultism and Hinduism. So getting like this big range for me was so important because everyone's welcome to have an opinion. And some of the opinions do clash. But I think that the group of guests we have are so respectful to each other and know that spirituality is this giant umbrella and that so much stuff can fit underneath it. The idea that there's one right way or one wrong way is um, immature and that there's always room for growth and evolution, which is ultimately what the path is about, is about growing. If we were all 100 people, um, we wouldn't be here. (laughs) We'd be back in the all. (laughs) Exactly. And, you know, I have often said, and I've said on this podcast before, that if your spiritual path isn't making your life substantially better, um, and it's a process, of course, like anything else, but if it's not designed to give yourself a certain level of tranquility, peace, understanding, perspective, the tools that one needs to have prosperity and success, then perhaps it deserves reexamining. And I think one of the things that I think is so exciting about this podcast is that it's being treated with the level of scrutiny and professionalism that any uh, television program or documentary or oh, no. a series would have. It's, I'm sure there's a level of fact-checking involved. I'm sure, like you said, there's, there's pre-interviews. There is a level of professionalism that's being applied to this, and I don't recall outside of the world of books where that has been afforded folks in the occult community. I think most of the time when you see uh, media surrounding the occult, it's very Hollywoodized, right? We talked about the cult, the craft rather. We talked about uh, the crow. Uh, I could list every goth inspiring movie and piece of uh, pop culture that came out in my adolescence that highlights sort of the bad horror movies, like the defining um, voice for the occult has been this very stylized, Hollywoodized version of it. And outside of the book world, which again, you have to sort of source out on your own, that doesn't really seem to be a platform for folks to discuss this in a a way that is accountable to what's being said. Anyone can say anything on TikTok. Anyone can say anything on YouTube. Anyone can say anything on Twitter. There's no... There's no sort of um, filtration to make sure yeah. that what's coming out is like up to, you know, cuts the mustard. And and this show feels already just from like the process I've seen so far to be breaking that mold of it's just a bunch of individuals, you know, doing their thing in their garage, playing their, you know, garage rock music just, in, you know, to their buddies and actually starting to move into a world where like, okay, hey, we're presenting this seriously. We're going to demystify this thing and and present it in a manner that that is uh, as deserving of the kind of respect that 
you know, Buddhism gets or Catholicism gets or any of those uh, spiritual paths. Absolutely. And I think a lot of that comes from the other producers. So Michael Simon is a staunch atheist. And um, that is, I can't speak 100%, but he's definitely like questioned things after we've gotten off calls with people. He's like, damn, am I making the right choice or is there something more? Mm -hmm. So to be able to see someone who has such a staunch viewpoint to open up their mind a little bit is exactly what we wanted. And to have the pre-interviews and to have, I mean, these people go through background checks, right? Like my team goes through and make sure that there's no weird political stuff that could get tied in here. Like we want these people to be, um, I don't think the, like they want to be pure of any weird controversy. And like, that's kind of weird because like I can be the center of controversy sometimes, (laughs) but um, these people have been beautifully spoken about the occult in a way that is not manic, in a way that is accessible to others, in a way that is educational. And it's really cool. When I sat down with the PR team, we've got, I think, six people on our PR team. And they're like, okay, so just like talk about who you are, what you do, why you do this. And I was shocked that I spoke for 20 minutes and that was not interrupted. Wow. And I was like, oh, wow, this is like people will like take you very seriously. And I was like, okay, this is like this elevates me in a way that I'm not used to. And I have to be very, very careful about what I say. And I think that's something that doesn't get a lot of thought in TikTok land, right? Like we yeah. can instantly pull up a video, make say some shit and then throw it down. But the the truth is that and I teach this all the time, that your words are spells and they have power. And, and I've taken that to a new level. And I think, you know, that's been seen a lot of in the change of my content. Like I've changed a lot through this process that I've recognized a new level of professionalism and realizing how important what I say is. So, you know, as much as this podcast has taken shape and developed, you know, it's taken and developed me as well. That's amazing. And, and and it's great too, because I have often felt like for, you know, for the reasons that everyone is aware of, we have built these social communities and um, in many regards, they can be great. I would not know you without them. I would mm-hmm. not know many of the people I've had on the podcast without them. So while I can oftentimes be a bit crusty about it, there is a lot of benefit to it. But what it has not yet provided in, in a way that I find um, adequate is a place for discussion. The TikTok and, and the Twitters of the world, by the nature of their structure, simply don't provide the space and the correct platform for a uh, thoughtful conversation to occur. One of the things I love so much about podcasting is that it uh, does allow me that, I mean, we can chat for as long as we want or as for as little time as we want. And there's the opportunity for nuance to be shared. There's inflections in our voices. There's the ability to correct ourselves when we misspeak in real time and for it to be understood that we're correcting ourselves as we speak. 
And I feel like they're what I what I'm it's exciting for me to hear, and uh, it's very happy for me to hear, is that through the process of being given a platform that does provide itself the space to articulate oneself in a manner that they desire and to speak impeccably that presenting the show will inspire other people to seek out those, that, that method of communicating and discourse and, and move away from the chippy one-liners and the subtweets and all that other stuff that kind of sometimes is static that distracts from our deeper conversation. And you mentioned earlier that your guests are open-minded and that they understand that people have different spiritual paths and, and you know, there'd be nuance to how one person celebrates practices um, versus someone else. And that that's okay. That there is something to be learned from all of those things for the staunch atheist of the world. At a first glance, we may just look like we're drawing shapes in the air, like, like we're a little imbalanced, you know? Um, but then as they get to hear the reasons why the context, why understand the belief behind it, then perhaps regardless of whether or not they join a spiritual path or they just maybe open their mind to some techniques that could help. I think that that's really doing the larger community, a great service that it desperately needs because all things that get muddied tend to get muddied because they exist in the general society we live in. So if you don't like all the materialism and witchcraft, well, let's look at the grander world. Let's look at how much Super Bowl commercials are about to cost. Um, and we can see where we get this from. If we're, um, if we don't like the discourse, the snippy discourse between folks in the occult community, well, let's look at our political arena. Let's look at the way our, our, our leaders speak to one Absolutely. another. And so the only way, in my opinion, to change that is to present different forms of communication that then remind folks there's something better. There's a better way to go about talking to one another. And then maybe we can start to move in a more academic direction than maybe we've been over the last few years. Well, I am so glad that you said that because that is a a really important thing to me. Um, I've talked about this before. My history comes from philosophy. Mm -hmm. And if anyone who's read anything about Socrates, that guy was kind of a jerk where it came <laughs> to like the Socratic dialogue and like really pressing people. And there is a way to be able to communicate with others and say, you know what? I see where you're coming from. I respect where you're coming from, but that doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. That's really important. And it's also, I I don't, there's no part of me and there's no place in the occult unveiled for gatekeeping or correcting other people on their beliefs. That's That's not what this podcast is for. We've got plenty of people who want to police the occult community and... I think that there is something to be said here that this is not just an aesthetic. Mm-hmm. This is a culture and this culture thrives. And what makes culture beautiful is that it's very diverse. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I was going to say, absolutely. That's, that's exactly it. It's the, it's, it's the, that's the poetry of life is diversity. It's, it's people from different backgrounds coming together and sharing their experiences and being open for other people to take part in their 
cultural uh, rituals and celebrations and, um, you know, the, the art of breaking bread, you know, all those things are magical because everyone is bringing something unique to the table. And what leaves at the end is a tapestry of different perspectives. Those yeah. are the, those are the conversations. Those are the, the dinners. Those are the hanging out with friends that are the most memorable. It's not when one person talks and everyone agrees. Those are, that's boring. No, no. And, and, um, and that's called a cult. Yes, exactly. That's not a culture. That's just a cult. Absolutely. And I think that there's something that I've really felt by hosting this podcast is that our world is very addicted to separateness. Mm -hmm. We all, and you know what? That's okay because we are different. We have our different cultures. But in occultism and magic in general, there's this underlying belief that all is one the oneness of the world, the unity of the world. And that's been lost, in my opinion. When Mm -hmm. I get to look at you and say, that man is a reflection of me. He's a reflection of the cat next to me. He is a reflection of everything around me. That intimate connection is lost when we're just on Mm -hmm. our screens all the time. And that was something that was so beautiful of using the medium of podcasts was to be able to look at people and say, this person has completely different beliefs than me, but they are also a reflection of God or the universe. And that deserves respect. Well, I mean, I've always said you can't put God in a box. The four Mm -mm. walls that you erect around him are, can't contain something as total as as a supreme being again in whatever way that you imagine it even if you imagine it as just life you know i've never been a i've never been what i would consider an atheist but there's been times that i've gone sort of flown close to that sun and even at my my most uh atheist leaning tendencies i always felt like i could feel comfortable defining god as life Whatever that spark of life is, whatever that thing that's the difference between me and a rock or me and a steel beam, I could say, okay, if for nothing else, that's God. And when you Mm -hmm. consider it even on those most secular of terms, there's a beauty there. And you couldn't contain life, you know, to to quote my favorite philosopher, Dr. Ian Malcolm, life uh, finds a way. And it will find mm-hmm. a way to manifest itself in a billion different methods. And each of those has its level of importance and something that we can learn from and, and maybe apply to our lives in some manner. Yeah, that's the hope that every day and every podcast um, or episode you listen to of The Occult Unveiled does help you open up your eyes and realize that this is just life finding understanding in a different context. I teach mm-hmm. my students uh, at mystery school. Uh, for for you old punk rockers, we're all familiar with what uh, Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon album cover looks like. For mm-hmm. those not so familiar, it is a prism or a pyramid with one side a light beam, with one side a light beam coming through, and on the other side, the prism refracts a rainbow. And this is how I teach about unity, is that all 
or the universe, God, whatever you want to call it, comes through you as a human and your mind being the beautiful tool that it is, is going to refract a certain color depending on your gender, your socioeconomic status, your Mm -hmm. environment that you grew up in. And through that, if we put all those colors back together, they turn into white. Yes. So, so that's something that I think is wonderful to see uh, really come through. My philosophy come through the occult unveiled like that has been such a blessing to see what I think and believe to be good, strong values and principles to be able to be created and brought to an audience who is not on TikTok or Twitter or Instagram into the wider population. Agreed, agreed. And now in the process of these various interviews that you've done, um, without spoiling anything, certainly we want people to tune in to the Occult Unveiled on March 1st, but what are there any surprises or like little takeaways that, that maybe popped up at you that caught you off guard or are worth sharing to just sort of illustrate how this process can be enlightening, not only for those listening, but also for yourself? So the first thing, that really surprised me is in our first episode. I'm not going to give a ton of detail on it, but there was an experience Michelle Belanger had where a woman was so overtaken with the power of the occult, her eyes started bleeding. Wow. That was intense. I was like, oh my God. Like, I was like, what would I do in that situation? And my brain just goes, panic. <laughs> <laughs> I think most of us. Yeah. Um, another thing that was really exciting was talking to Marco Visconti about his uh, history regarding um, some some clashes with Interpol and how mm. that definitely, you know, occultism, we talked about it getting like a bad rap um, and he's been on the receiving end of that. Um, and then I think the other major, major surprise that I had uh, came from talking to uh, Dimitri or Afro Spiritual mm-hmm. where we talk about hoodoo and what is uh, the hoodoo background and how does it work? I know that there's a lot of controversy on TikTok about what a closed practice is and what does it mean to be initiation only. And to hear his response to that was really enlightening and was like, oh, this isn't just what the internet tells me it is. It's way deeper than that. Yeah. Yeah. I've always found that when it comes to that, and I don't want to divulge too far into cultural appropriation, but my, what I will say is whenever I have spoken to either folks who have uh, traveled overseas or are from overseas and from these various cultures that folks claim to be closed or not closed or what, what have you, um, I always find that their perspective is far more nuanced than the the standard line that we're given and it does offer quite a bit of food for thought and hopefully allows people to break away from sort of short Twitter sized philosophies and actually come to understand that it's so much more varied than that and uh, complex and that it's, it's very difficult to make blanket statements about things because the folks who come from those cultures have as diverse opinions as we do about anything, right? The Oscars are coming yeah. up. We can't even decide whether or not a Spider-Man movie should make it in or not, much less something of grand importance uh, in in terms of a spiritual path and initiation. And so uh, it's really exciting to hear 
uh, it's promising to hear that there are going to be some of these more nuanced conversations from folks who are actually practitioners, not folks who are speaking on behalf of generally people of color. So, yes, these people are not digital practitioners. Uh, I had a really good term for this. They're not screen magicians. Ah, I like it. Yeah, these are people who um, walk the walk and talk the talk. And Dimitri has been a good friend of mine. And being able to to allow the space for a person of color to really speak their truth of their practice was really wonderful and enlightening to me. That's amazing. I love that. I love hearing that. Um, now, you have sort of approached this in a way that's a little unique from most podcasts, even mine, which is sort of split into seasons arbitrarily, but I really do one every week. You actually sort of have a serial format. Uh, the yes. first season is six episodes. Am I correct on that? I think it's eight. Oh, eight. Even better. It is eight. Yes. So was there uh, was this uh, like was this part of a larger plan from you? Was this sort of just as laid out by your producing team? Was it sort of a collaboration? Like what was the inspiration for making this sort of a short run serial styled show? So this comes from Michael Simon and Scott Kushner, who both have a long history in broadcast, mm-hmm. and for them, this serialized format is like television. So that's where they currently work is in the television scene. And Mm -hmm. the first season is this way because it was shot still during COVID. And well, it's not shot. I'm sorry. It was recorded during COVID. That's just producer brain talking. (laughs) And we want to expand it. A big part of this is we want to be able to do um, video with this, maybe even be able to do a studio where we have people come in live Mm-hmm. So this is a stepping stone for us. Uh, I think it's been such a blessing to be able to create this during COVID, but we need a breather to make sure, you know, do assessment, do um, judgment of like what worked, what didn't work, rather than just banging out episode after episode, take the time, reflect, see where we need to go, who's available for advertising and marketing. It's really special in that way and it gives me a break too because hosting is hard the best way i can describe hosting in this way is that i am not i'm not whatsoever like anderson cooper but i (laughs) like see myself that way where i have to be very penetrating and i have to be able to kind of see between the lines of what people are saying and think like my audience. Like I don't, I am Ashley in this moment, but I'm also thinking of like, okay, who, what about Amy Anderson in Tennessee? Like how is she going to respond to this? So it gives me time to grow too. So I think that there's something to be said for doing a lot of hard work and then taking a, a little break before diving right back in. And I, I think that's a lot how TV works too. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense because because it gives you the opportunity to see what these first eight episodes do, the reaction that they get, learn from them, um, listen to them back. I don't know if you have been already, but um, that's I, I found that because I self-edit all the podcasts, I have to 
I, I had to learn to listen to my own voice back. And this now being my fourth podcast, I learn how to improve my inflection, how to improve cutting down on awkward pauses, things of that nature. Being able to do a short run, then step back, probably get a little bit of a breather from it as well, and then go back to it with fresh ears in this instance and take it in, judge the reaction. It would give you the opportunity then for a season two, refine and build upon and grow from the successes of a season one. Absolutely. And I'm dyslexic. So I have difficulty with certain pronunciations. I have difficulty with like mixing up words. So it gives me a chance to to work on that as well. Like I'm not an actor by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> People may think otherwise on TikTok, but really for me, like this is such a brand new territory. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, it's like getting used to like hearing my voice, but also doing the promotional photos and and being the face of it is overwhelming, quite frankly, like to I totally understand a lot of the body dysmorphia people go through, but Mm. that's something I've also taken and said, you know what? This is who I am. This is what I look like. I am here because I am a a practitioner, a respected practitioner of the occult, not because I'm a size zero and have an angular face. And that was hard. (laughs) Sure. Well, it's, 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 you know, you work in the film world as well as I do. And there is a, a, a visual component to being on screen. It's why like someone like me opted to always be behind screen. And it's why I probably, it's not really why I guess there's no real hardcore reason other than I just don't want to have to post this on on a video platform and audio platforms, but I'm not inclined to be on camera in this podcast because there is, there's just that natural, component to being a face of something you you have to look at yourself you have to hear other people's criticisms and obviously you've already experienced that in the content that you made today now this is just one more element that could potentially grow to very large amounts of, of audience and so i'm sure there's a little bit of a for as exciting as it all is and as as, as um as pumped as you must be to put this out there in the world i would imagine also that there's that part of you that has to adjust to saying, okay, I am now a talking head for lack of a better mm-hmm. phrase. I am now a person who is going to be seen as representing certain viewpoints or at least a platform. I and mean, we've seen more, uh, you know, larger scale podcasters get in trouble for things they've said in the past and things that they current continue to say. And there's a, there's a certain growth and responsibility that must be shouldered. But I think that your approach is very well measured and it sounds like you have a really good team behind you. And I've always found you to be a very uh, well-balanced and even killed person and someone who really is passionate about dispelling myths and approaching the occult from an academic standpoint and not just a, the memification of of the mysteries of the unknown right like that's all good and fun but but is there anything beyond that and i like to see that you're putting yourself out there to spearhead that that movement thank you yeah when i was an undergrad i had a professor who would tell me all the time he's like if not you then who and i take that to heart like if you know, I have the intellectual edge to do this. 
I've been so blessed to have a master's degree and a bachelor's degree, and I've been blessed to spend an absurd amount of time at the Philosophical Research (laughs) Society, and I get to communicate with different lecturers from theosophy, from Luciferianism to Buddhism, and to be able to bring that real-world experience to other people is such a gift, and it is hard. And it's a, it's growing pains in a lot of ways. And yeah, there's definitely some anxiety there. But I know that dispelling myths, because it was so hard for me to grow up in the South where mm-hmm. anything like this, like I get messages sometimes from people being like, OMG, it's me from high school. Like you're a witch now. <laughs> it's like, hi, can you please leave? You're not welcome here. <laughs> right. But um it's it's being able to grow beyond that and say, okay, like I represent this, I choose this, and I will not shy away from being who I am. And that's what I hope other people will see too through my actions is that don't be afraid of being who you are because who you are is unique, it's beautiful, and it will bring light to other people. I agree 100%. So because this process is somewhat different or at least an evolution of the things you've done before is there is there any things that you do in terms of preparation for for when you were recording is there uh, how how do you prepare yourself i guess is a better way to phrase it how do you prepare yourself for meeting with all these very uh intriguing characters that you're having on the show and and uh, not only prepare for the interviewing or discussion process but also i don't know what the recording schedule was but like keeping your voice healthy, um, preparing yourself for seeing yourself on, on, in the, the marketing for it and the promotion for it. Like what is your preparation period before you record? So the first thing is that another producer does the pre-interview and then I'm given the transcript, which I have um, an app that actually reads to me the transcript and I listen to it three times. Mm -hmm. And then I have an hour meeting with this producer And we go through all of the talking points we think are most interesting. Um, I will take notes. uh, And then our our recording schedule was really intense. We were recording three times a week. Wow. Yeah. So each recording season or I'm sorry, each recording episode was two hours each. That's half an hour for um testing regard because like when we record it's there's like six people on this call there's Mm -hmm. me the guest two producers a tech person and an audio person so we're all on at the same time we do our our pre-check we have the interview during that time i have my list and then the director has a line of communication with me to make sure that like i'm on track or if i need to like pivot a lot there's a lot of really interesting like things that I've never done before like being directed Mm -hmm. totally new to me Uh, and it's very minimal but just a little bit as for keeping my voice that was really really hard because I got sick in the middle of it yeah I'm I'm just like it's been interesting this this winter season I've experienced a lot of illness Um, And that's partly spiritual. Part of it's, you know, just Corona. What (laughs) I would have to do, I did my like poor man's version of like a steamer. So, yeah, I would do boiling hot water in a glass bowl with a 
a drop of peppermint oil and a drop of eucalyptus oil and pull everything out. I also, um, I've already been vegan for a while, mm-hmm. but like very, very strictly vegan because I'm allergic to milk enzymes. And mm-hmm. the minute I take any kind of dairy product, my sinuses go whack. Right. Very strict diet, very strict regimen of keeping my sinuses clear. Um, thankfully, that's the easy part. <laughs> right, right, right. It's it's funny how, you know, you don't – it just seems so easy for folks. Like you just buy a microphone and, you know, you use a, a free app like Zencaster like I'm using and you talk and that's it. And that there's so much more of that. And there's a technical aspect, uh, of course, that people may or may not figure out. Um, there, but there's also the part like you're like, like I do vocal warm ups now before podcasting at least 20 minutes mm-hmm. before. Um, I have a, I have a friend who's been on the show before who's a singer and she showed me some warm up exercises and I do them. I'm still not good about not drinking coffee during the podcast because it just feels so natural to me, but I probably should be drinking water to maintain that level of, of um, hydration necessary, especially when you know, it's a, it's a good back and forth, but when you're doing a schedule like three times a week that you're, you know, it, I mean, by the end of every time I record, by the end of it, I need to step away for a bit. Um, I will, I don't know if you ever experienced this when you were talking with your guests, but I'll sometimes find myself dropping into what I can only describe as sort of like a trance like state where it's almost, um, it's almost like this will be a funny analogy, but if you've ever had a drink and then you just you just cross that line where you're not quite drunk but you're a little you're a little sauced up and and you're a little loose-lipped and you're just sort of going and then you kind of don't realize how long you've been talking for I can easily find myself in that state where you've just been in this intense mode of conversation that you need to sort of ground yourself afterward. I don't know if you experience that at all. You know what? That is not something I experience because it is very structured, but I can see mm-hmm. where that could easily come in. It's very it is very easy to fall into just like a chat a chat state. Mm-hmm. But because it is so structured, I don't I don't have that problem. What I do have a problem with though is sometimes like having to um I love my guests. They're so brilliant. But trying to keep them in a place where it's like not too insider baseball. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that can be a little hard because I don't want – I want them to be able to freely talk. But I also want to make sure that I don't have to worry about um, too much pithy and priestess chime in. So that was something that was really interesting is I'm not a voice actor. But what I did have to learn is how to change my voice and be able to be pithy and priestess and then write, go back to Ashley. Right. Well, you so have a lovely that, voice. So oh, it's, thank you. <laughs> yeah. I have to say my biggest inspiration for this show is Ashley Flowers. I really like Ashley Flowers. She's um, a pretty big podcaster in the true crime arena. Uh-huh. And she, she started doing a show called Supernatural with the okay. podcast. And to listen to her really inspired me and helped me understand. She reads stories. She doesn't do a lot of conversational pieces, Mm -hmm. but to see the fluctuation in voice and tone, because a lot of very popular podcasts um, 
are, are male right now. So getting to learn like what the female voice is. Um, the other thing that I would say that really inspired me um, from this podcast is, uh, this is kind of cheesy, but like the 90s commercials where you would like see like, they'd be like, call now for your psychic reading. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Miss Cleo and all those. Yeah. So like being able to hear that, I'm like, okay, like that's the voice Pythian kind of needs to have. She needs to have that like ethereal, that particular way. And I was like, okay, I get that. But yeah, Miss Cleo, if you haven't seen the documentary, Mucho Mucho Amor. I have. Like, I was uh, like I'm not I'm not Puerto Rican I'm I'm, I'm Mexican American but my my grandma would often watch Walter Mercado, uh you know at, whenever I was staying at her house and I didn't understand it then but it was he's such an elaborate figure yeah very grandiose that um, I could see where that would be an inspiration to sort of delineate between when you're sort of in Ashley interview mode and when you sort of take these asides to delve more deeply into some terms that as you coined earlier might be sort of inside baseball behind the curtain definitely so getting to see uh see that i was like okay i can visualize what it looks like for me that's awesome i it's funny because you said earlier you're not an actor but you definitely you have acting ability i've seen your tiktoks and the level of creativity that you put behind them and not just the creativity behind the video themselves but your execution of them and you. your ability to change personalities when you're portraying Lilith or you're portraying yourself or what have you. And so it's pretty encouraging to see that you're applying that process, which you may not view as acting, but I, as a filmmaker as well, look at it and say, that's totally acting. It's, a, you know, whether or not you consider yourself that or not, you're applying that same process of character building. And it's encouraging to see that you're applying it to a, uh, uh, audio medium as well, not strictly visual. Oh, thank you. I think you're right. I think there there is acting ability. Uh, I think the biggest hang up for me when it comes to acting is the line memorization because I am sure. dyslexic. It's really hard for me. But yeah, I definitely have that carefree, the ability to change character and, and change my, it's really just changing your energy. But being able to do that through an audio medium is really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's fun to f free yourself to be more than the person who's busy doing things mm -hmm. to take that time to express yourself in a, in a different way than you can even from normal conversation, because in normal conversation, if we were at Denny's, for example, you probably wouldn't change into Pythian priestess, <laughs> voice it wouldn't do like a zach morris from saved by the bell maybe you would. It, would it would be pretty cool if you did but average person does not but in a medium like this you can you can have different facets of yourself come out and as people come to understand and know you more and they gain a trust in you like they have on your other platforms then the voices of your guests will be that much more amplified mm -hmm. and put into a perspective that can help, as we've mentioned earlier, dispel a lot of the myths surrounding the occult. Because in the mainstream, you see a lot of folks who think it's devil worship or you think it's evil or they think it's whatever. But there's also misconceptions within the occult community as well. And I think that there's the opportunity for you to dispel not just the mainstream, just uh, myths surrounding the occult, but also the ones within. 
Yeah, I think that there's definitely an opportunity for that, for constructive dialogue without it being criticism or dogpiling. I really look forward to that as well because there are a lot of misinformation posts that get popularized and it's exciting to be able to to open up those modes of conversation in a safe space. Yeah, I think it's the 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 migration of occult discourse from the platforms of social media, which is essentially we're all very aware of a version of high school. It's mm-hmm. it's like any social hierarchy where are there are the there are the popular folks and the less popular folks and the people who want to be part of the popular folks atmosphere and gravitational pull. And that's all nice and fine. That's a great popularity contest. But when you start getting deeper into some of the more intricacies, into the more um, heady conversational pieces, to be able to evolve the platforms and the conversations to a more mature per- perspective on things and understanding of things that do demand that level of maturity, I think is really important. And um, this group of folks who are currently in TikTok or uh, on Twitter or what have you, they're going to get older. And I know mm-hmm. because I got older when I was on uh, MySpace and LiveJournal. And I remember the kind of conversations and fighting and silliness and misunderstandings that occurred in this new social media, in the earliest days of social media. Nothing's really changed other than it's more integrated into our daily lives. But all those same people, just like me and my friends when we were on Live Journal, who are currently sort of living in a world of misunderstanding, they're getting older year after year, as we all do, and they will seek a more mature uh, media to, to, to age with them. We've seen this in traditional media, and I think there's the opportunity to present that within these occult spheres as well, it feels like your show, The Occult Unveiled, is very primed to be that next stage of maturity as it relates to occult discussions. Oh, well, thank you very much, David. I appreciate that. Popularity. I'm not here to win a popularity contest. I'm not here to be class president. That's never been my goal. I learned a long time ago that fame is a byproduct of passion. Mm-hmm. And if you are working towards fame, then you're not really working for the greater good. You're working for you. Mm-hmm. My passion has always been, oh, you know what? I'm just going to tell the story. So when I was 19 years old and I was in my second year of college, we were studying the ancient philosophers, and particularly Plato's cave, always captures your imagination. Mm -hmm. And my question to the professor was, who makes the shadows on the walls? Who is dictating this reality for the people who are chained? Mm -hmm. And he didn't have an answer. And that's when I was like, I'm going to be that person. I'm going to be the one who like makes decent shadows for people on the wall to realize how to unchain themselves from materialism to be able to go outside of the cave and see reality. And that has been my mission for now 11 years. I just turned 30. So I feel like I've made um, a lot of progress. 
-hmm. And for me, like being famous is like whatever. It's not like, yeah, I guess it's nice to like see your, your name places and stuff like that. But that's not my mission. My mission here is to make a better world. It's to make a place where people can freely be themselves without fear of persecution. And that is whatever you want to call it, self-righteous, you want to call it proselytizing, whatever. For me, it's my passion, and I know it's my path. Well, I think there could not be a more rebellious attitude to take than to allow your passion to manifest itself, to allow your art to be shown to the world, to allow your voice to be heard and to, most importantly to be spoken because as it is as it penetrates that wall of saying you're no one special leave it to the celebrities just go push some uh, buttons and pull some levers once you break beyond that and you say no this is my expression and i'm going to put it out there whether it's for one person or a million people that is an act of rebellion and that is what will allow us to recognize the difference between McDonald's and a five-star restaurant. There's a lot of McDonald's in the world. It's always going to be some level of popularity, but it's very difficult. I find, especially as we get a little more mature, I won't say necessarily age, but certainly mature um, because obviously there are people who are in their middle age and still very immature and fighting on Twitter every other week and calling people names because they disagree with them. Like that age isn't a, a pure factor in terms of maturity, but as we mature, and as we, our tastes refine, the more options we are presented with that allow us something better than what we've had, will I find that people will naturally gravitate towards that and away from some of these more potentially disruptive or destructive communities that aren't necessarily aiding someone on their spiritual path so much as they are reinforcing the materialism, consumerism that exists within this late stage capitalist society that we've built. Absolutely. And I think that's a big part of what makes me so happy about the occult unveiled. It's not my agenda. It's not their agenda. It's just true honesty and a a safe space to communicate what you believe. The other thing is that the occult unveiled is allowing people who aren't familiar with this world to give it like a little peek and to say, Mm -hmm. oh yeah, maybe not so scary. You're just talking to plants. That's pretty cool. But there's a lot of, I don't know, like popularity is, is everywhere and that's just your level of consciousness and that's okay. But I certainly hope that people see that true spirituality is about learning to let go of what a lot of people call the ego. Now, don't get me wrong. The ego is not all bad. We need our ego. We need to be able to self-identify. But when we become so addicted to it and when we become so concerned with decorating it, when does your spirituality become nothing more than a shiny, cute little badge you put on it? Right. Right. It starts to be, it can very easily become, if one's not conscious of the path they're going down, it can be like going into Hot Topic buying a punk rock outfit and going from being, you know, a surfer kid to a punk rocker or a goth or whatever overnight. And well, it will hold as much significance as that. If there's not a deeper level of, uh, earnedness put into it, it's, it's, a, it is a path. 
we use that term often and like any path there's effort placed in it and you have to walk down it right you, you there's not a, there's not a lot of opportunities for breaks if you want to continue down a path it is like taking any long walk it can be sometimes exhausting it can sometimes hurt it can sometimes be um uh, seem endless and yet once we learn to appreciate that path and that journey and everything that comes with it, including the times when your souls are getting worn thin or you see no end in sight, no destination nearby, it's when we learn to appreciate that that we, that we truly understand what this is all about and it can really open our perspective and our eyes to looking at the world and approaching the world and living within the world in a much more elevated way manner. Absolutely. And I can honestly say all of the guests, all eight of them were very humble. And they, even though they have world, world renowned fame, they were still willing to talk about basics. They were willing to talk about that struggle of walking that path. And for a lot of these people, that path was rocky. They needed mm-hmm. to go through and like really overcome a lot and especially because so many of them lived in through the satanic panic right which we are now living through again and they don't want to see that repeated well i think any path that offers sovereignty of ourselves uh, allows us to be our own kings and queens of our own destiny and the old our own world perspective will always find resistance from a system that seeks to offer something else uh, in our modern world, it's stuff. Uh, the spiritual world can get penetrated by that. Um, but at its core, it's always really been about removing our reliance on things. It is finding our oneness with the divine. It is understanding our oneness with those around us. And and there's also something to be said for the perspective that things are fleeting. All things must pass. And we come to accept that. And there is liberation in that. And anytime liberation is offered, there will, it will always be met with resistance by those who seek to keep you enslaved. And um, I hope that this show, The Occult Unveiled, starts to offer that perspective for folks who might be completely brand new to anything as it relates to the occult. And I hope that the reaction outside of the occult community has been as positive as it's been within. I hope that people who the, the the person who knew you from high school listens to an episode and says oh i didn't understand this this is this is not what i expected this is not what's shown in the movies this is something deeply meaningful and mm-hmm. um and deserving of respect it's very beautifully said yes thank you the one last thing I'd like to talk about today is uh, we will be doing a premiere launch, which I'm really excited about. So the details will be available um, on Pythian Priestess on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. But we will be holding a live ritual and nice. a, shor- a short interview with all of our guests. Uh, the ritual will be focused on renewal for spring, bre- bringing prosperity, health, and wealth uh, which I'm writing, and you know, everyone is welcome to participate. I, I hope that you know people will come because of the times we're living in. That uncertainty can certainly find um, grounded a grounded mindset, 
And I hope that this podcast does bring a kind of grounded mindset, not just to um, the people who listen, but to the magical community at large. That's really exciting to hear. And I'm really looking forward to listening to this. So for those folks who are really excited, as, as are as excited about this new podcast, The Occult Unveiled, as I am, let everyone know when it premieres, where they can find uh, the live ritual, uh, in terms of uh, your socials. For now, people who are excited to follow you, who are inspired to follow you, where are some of the ways that they can not only listen to The Occult Unveiled, but also follow your other mediums? All right. So the live stream is going to be at volume.com slash The Occult Unveiled on March 1st at 5 p.m. You can check out all of The Occult Unveiled's information through TikTok, Instagram, or Twitter at The Occult Unveiled. And of course, I, as Pythian Priestess, will be posting this across platforms just at Pythian Priestess, which for those of you who aren't familiar, is P-Y-T-H-I-A-N. All of this information will be posted. I'll be giving links. There'll be a wait list uh, for everyone um, to come in because we want to keep all the trolls out. And <laughs> you will also be able to catch part of it on social media, but volume.com is really where you want to go. Exciting. Well, thank you so much. I, I was I had such a lovely time talking with you again. I am really looking forward to the show. I will be listening on March 1st. I think it is going to really be a positive piece to add to a larger community and and hopefully open people's minds and eyes to, of, to, to various beautiful practices that exist in the world that can benefit us for the greater good. And so I want to thank you so much for all of your time. I want to thank you for sharing a little insight, pull the curtain back a little bit about your new show and um and your perspective as always you're always welcome to come back anytime you're one of my favorite people thank you so much i i, I appreciate all that you are oh thank you so much david i really appreciate that i love talking to you too and thank you to all the listeners who are here today you are so wonderful and i can't wait to see you on the occult unveiled very good so we will talk soon and until next time check ashley out on the occult unveiled premiering march 1st Thank you to Ashley once again for coming on the podcast and sharing the insights that she's learned from being the host of her own podcast and doing it in a more serialized format and having a team around her to support her. And not only what she's learned from this, but ultimately what her goals are with this podcast and her teachings and her mystery school as a whole. You know, I was talking with some friends earlier today and we were discussing and and commenting on the fact that across this country, there are folks everywhere who are looking for a new way of life. All one has to do is look at buildings and seeing signs that say we have a work shortage to know that the contemporary methodology by which we live our lives is not bringing satisfaction. It's not bringing completion. It's not bringing wholeness. And I would certainly argue that the only way to find such wholeness would be through a alternative form of practicing, of connecting, of realizing the oneness, the wholeness, the uniqueness that is life. 
The reason I have found myself practicing ceremonial magic is not because it's trendy or because I'm trying to try on a new identity for online purposes or any of those things. I'm far too old for any of that kind of behavior, but it's because through these practices, I found tranquility in my life in ways that I had never experienced before. I found a trueness in myself when I look in the mirror that I had never found before. I found myself attracting the kind of people I'd always wanted to bring into my life. And I didn't go about it by, by with those being the goals. I simply just wanted to prepare myself and complete the great work. I wanted to prepare myself to be the best version of myself possible. And by virtue of that, by gaining sovereignty over my life, I have drawn to me like moss to a flame those things that I had always desired. I'm a big proponent of not only these spiritual practices, but the expression through art, the expression through using various mediums to express oneself, to bleed oneself onto the canvas, as it were. And I admire Ashley for picking up a microphone and doing just that. You know, if you follow Ashley or Prithian Priestess online, you know that unfortunately there are not always good faith folks in this world. And there are folks who have jealousy and there are folks who, uh, you know, the internet can be a very nasty place at times. But at all times, I have seen Ashley rise above the mire and the mudslinging and the haughty comments and keep it professional, keep it philosophical, keep it academic so that those who are willing to hear and to learn and to receive may do so in an environment that is designed to absorb it in the best way possible. I'm excited about this podcast not only because I love seeing other great artists do cool work, but because it means that Ashley is expressing herself and following her will and opening the door for other people's voices, marginalized voices to be heard so that you, the listener, can gain insights. And all of that is super cool. That intersection between art and spirituality is the kind of stuff that I wake up for. And so I want to thank Ashley for her time. And I also want to inspire you all to, whether whether it's picking up a microphone or a paintbrush or a pencil or typing on your keyboard, a, a novel or a screenplay or whatever, picking up your phone and grabbing photos of your environment, whatever it may be, there is a way to exist in this world in the manner that you have always dreamed of. It is at your fingertips. You need absolutely nothing more than what you have at hand you don't need to be anything more than you already are it's simply a matter of giving yourself that push and taking the dive into a world that is fulfilling that is complete and that brings satisfaction that the desires and the creative expression can be realized and appreciated in a world that is otherwise consumed and distracted, and I would argue blinded, by consumerism and technology. Not all things are within our control, but that is. And so I urge you to take that control. I urge you to take a listen to Ashley's podcast and listen for yourself and judge for yourself what you think its merit is. I'm excited for it. I think you will like it. And if I could leave you with any one thing, it's to climb that goddamn mountain and express yourself in whatever manner you see fit. And I believe 
that by hearing other folks' stories, you'll be inspired to do just that. So I want to thank Ashley once again for being a a lovely host, as always. And I want to thank you all for being wonderful listeners. I would not be doing this without you. And I appreciate each and every one of you from all around the world. It's humbling to see the statistics and see that people literally across the world are tuning in every Monday or throughout the week and listening to these episodes. There's so much going on in the world right now, so many things that can bring you down. But the fact that you all join me once a week is pretty exciting. And you allow me to express myself. You allow me to pick up that microphone, paintbrush, type my novel, whatever it may be, to climb my mountain by being my support and being with me every step of the way. So thank you all. I appreciate your listens. I will join you next week. And until next time, gold rings on you all.